In the name of God, the one, holy, and undivided Trinity. Amen. Please have a seat. Well, good morning, church. And happy birthday. And a very joyous Pentecost to you all. This feast of Pentecost, which we celebrate today, is full of joy, replete with meaning and so heady with imagery that we may feel a little drunk, reminiscent of that crowd at the first Pentecost that we heard about this morning. The joy is the energy of the life-giving ruach. That's the Hebrew word for spirit. It's a feminine gender word, which is one of the reasons that some of us like to use the she pronoun for the spirit. Ruach means holy wind, mighty spirit, intimate breath of God. She is the one who moves over and broods over the watery chaos at the beginning, and she brings all that is into being. She is the divine energy who inspires prophets and infuses holy souls. She is the spirit we encounter in Jesus, truth-telling, boundary-breaking, justice-making, healing and forgiving, welcoming all to the table and transfiguring our most ordinary lives with love and grace. We celebrate the coming of the Spirit today by telling the story of the first Pentecost and also by praying and opening ourselves for the renewal and life that she brings here and now. The joy of Pentecost may be subtle or shocking. It's always unsettling in the very best way. In the Gospel reading for today, Jesus promises the confused and anxious disciples that he will send them another comforter, a parakletos. That means one who comes right alongside, an advocate who speaks for and strengthens them and leads them deeper into wisdom as situations and lives change. The Spirit comes to be the presence of Jesus, both intimate and provoking. You will do greater works than the ones you have experienced from me, he tells his bewildered friends. The Spirit comes to create a community, a body that lives the life and shares the good news of God's love for all. This is the community, my friends, this Spirit-breathed community the church into which we are baptized. And this is why Pentecost is one of the great baptismal days of the year. Those who are baptized are signed with oil that has been blessed as a reminder of the Spirit and the gift of her joy. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever, we say. And it is with great joy that we will baptize Amelie and Abigail this morning, and we will promise to support them and their families as they grow into this commitment and faith, grounded in immeasurable love. And today, all of us are invited to renew our baptismal promises 
our promises to walk in the way of Jesus with love and trust, and to be Christ's own presence in a world that sorely needs it. Pentecost reminds us that we live our commitment not in isolation, but in community. And what a community we are offered and called to nourish and participate in. The images that resonate through this morning's lessons proclaim its depth and breadth. It is an ecological community. The Spirit gives life to all creation. She reveals God's delight in the diversity of everything that is made, far beyond the realm of the Church, to be honest. Our psalm is much longer than the verses we just sang, and the psalmist praises God's provision for mountains and rivers, grasses and trees, rock badgers and storks, creatures both small and great. I particularly love the line about that Leviathan, that Leviathan that you have made for the sport of it, or maybe made to sport in it, that is to play, to play in the great and wide sea. Leviathan is sometimes understood as a monster of chaos, a mythical beast to be overcome, but here its great power is part of the wonderful wisdom of creation, a joy to God who plays. Maybe Leviathan is a great whale or some other as yet unknown marvel of the deep. We are baptized into the inexhaustible depths of God, immersed and integral in the web of life, part of the wonder of creation. This morning we are reminded that the Spirit created and is still creating. God's glory is to be cherished and protected in the diversity of all that is, this fragile earth, our island home. The psalmist echoes the first chapters of Genesis, the story of creation, spirit breathed. Our first lesson concludes scripture's tale of humankind's first origins and humankind's first spectacular failings. In the first 11 chapters of Genesis, we hear about the fall of Adam and Eve, the fratricidal jealousy of Cain, the violent human wickedness that provoked God to destroy the earth with a flood, which was survived by the remnant of Noah's family and the creatures on the ark. And now in this strange narrative of the Tower of Babel, the cycle is completed Peculiar as it is, it sparks echoes in the Pentecost account in Acts. In this story, humankind has only one language and migrates to one place. They immediately begin to make bricks, a curious reference to the task given to Hebrew slaves in Egypt. Nonetheless, they build a city and its centerpiece is a tower with its top in the heavens, a sign of their own self-importance and their determination to reach way up to God. 
They say, let us make for ourselves a name, otherwise we will be scattered across the whole earth. God sees the tower and hears their plans and comes down to, as Genesis says, confuse their language so that they will not be able to continue amassing power. And because they now have many languages and they don't understand each other so well, they disperse across the world. The place is called Babel, from which we take the meaning of nonsense speech, might also remind us, as it would have its earlier hearers, of the Babylonian Empire, a great power in its day marked by ziggurat towers reaching toward heaven, the empire by which a conquered and devastated people were taken into exile. What are we to make of this? God seems to want to stop the people's self-aggrandizement and proud building, particularly their hoarding all the power and wealth and capacity in one place. Dominance, uniformity, and alienation from the earth are remarkably contemporary sins. Diversity and disbursement suggest not only a divine warning, but also a more life-giving way, and a humanity that might be marked not by sameness, but by some more subtle connection, a unity born in love and the generous honoring of diversity. The narrative of Pentecost inverts the story of Babel with the promise of a new beginning. Some 120 followers and friends of Jesus are in Jerusalem, all together in one place. As Jesus has told them, they have been praying and waiting, though, truth to tell, they may not know quite what they're waiting for. I appreciate representations of this scene that show that there are women there, including Jesus' own mother, and folks of different ages and backgrounds. The Spirit comes to all of them, and she comes in dramatic power, like a gale-force wind, like wildfire. The Pentecostal images for the Spirit are not cozy. They are disruptive and startling. They represent an energy both creative and destructive, for the Spirit confronts the world as it is and challenges all that would corrupt or destroy or violate the creatures of God. We are reminded that water, that other elemental image used for the Spirit, something we absolutely need to live, the origin of all life on earth, carries the power of death as well as of new birth. So it is that the water of baptism it incorporates us into both the death and resurrection of Jesus and calls us to a journey of ongoing dying and rising as we grow deeper in our faith. The Spirit offers new life and gets us into good trouble, and that requires turning from and letting go of ways both active or passive, whether unconscious or entrenched, that harm those God loves, including ourselves. It's a kind of a dying in order to live, 
And the wild energy of Pentecost is good news that real change by her grace is possible. Ongoing growth is the invitation. So they begin to speak in other languages given by the Spirit, and a crowd gathers drawn by the drama of wind and tongues, and they understand what they're hearing. Pentecost is a Jewish festival before it's a Christian one. It's for that reason that Jerusalem is full of devout folk from all over the known world, celebrating the first fruits of the spring harvest. I love the way the narrative lingers on the many different and specific groups of people who are present. Their home places, their native tongues, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans and Arabs. These folk understand in their own languages what these Galilean friends of Jesus are saying, and they are amazed. Is Pentecost a miracle of speaking or hearing? I think it's both. It's a miracle of communication, of life-changing storytelling, of deep listening and understanding. It tells of Peter, Peter who not so long ago was afraid to admit he even knew Jesus. Peter preaching a sermon that leads to the conversion of 3,000 people. Pentecost is about finding one's own true voice. It's about the boldness to speak about what's most precious and life-changing, and in need of God's grace. It's about hearing words that speak to your heart, that speak to your condition and speak your language, not only in terms of syntax, but in terms of identity, of deep values and ultimate concerns. What's more, The miracle is about hearing the words that speak to your heart from an unlikely source, a person you thought was strange or of no account. Aren't they all Galileans? Pentecost is about risky communication, communication born out of the joy of God's works and God's dream for the world. Communication that reaches across difference and dares obstacles that seem insurmountable for the sake of love. Peter understands what's happening as a fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your elders shall dream dreams and your young ones see visions. The gift comes even to the enslaved the least valuable of society. Everyone is part of the work that God is doing. All contribute to the new creation of justice, healing, liberation, and love. All are vitally needed members of the community. We have not always been able to see the implications of this. 
Peter, for example, does not immediately conclude that this profligate outpouring of the Spirit means that slavery is wrong. And so we pray fervently that the powerful wind of God will continue to transform and teach us, continue to lead us fully into the truth of God's love for all without exception, so that as we promise today, we may fully honor the dignity of every human being. On this Pentecost Sunday, 2022, many of us are weary, heartsick, angry, facing as we do the catastrophic destruction of the natural world, our country's addiction to violence and guns, the original sin of racism, and the enduring hateful discrimination against LGBTQ people, women, our Jewish and Muslim neighbors, so many beloved of God. All this is real, and the Spirit is the one who prays with and for and in us with cries deeper than words we know how to say. The community of faith into which we come is both broken and full of grace, full of gifts and in need of healing, and called to witness to the good news by which, by God's grace, however imperfectly, we are committed to live. Speaking for myself, I'm deeply grateful for the gift of community in general and this community in particular as we seek in these days to live out our gospel call. And this feast, this feast is a reminder that God loves us in all our amazing and particular differences. With all our struggles and wounds, God delights in everything that is made with profligate and creative joy, and God longs for our healing, renewal, and flourishing. Pentecost calls us to find our voices and speak of what is precious, to share God's presence and do God's work. The Spirit invites us to listen deeply, that we may hear the truth of others' hearts and lives, the truth we need and the world needs. Most of all, Pentecost urges us to pray for holy surprises and disruptions for the wild wind of the Spirit to bring us visions of God's kingdom, to bring us faithful action and compelling words, to bind us in community, to set us moving in love, and to help us get into good trouble. Today, right here and right now, dear Church, may we know the Spirit's life-giving power and the joy of her presence. Amen.